0: Ben Jenkins, and this is Mentel, a podcast wholeheartedly encouraging men to feel free to open up and express themselves fully, all of themselves. Mentel shines a light on men's mental health, mental fitness, the new age masculine man, and the importance of talking about all of it. We want men to feel open, free, and safe to talk about what's going on in their lives, no matter what they're thinking or feeling and to recognise the incredible benefits of sharing and connection. There are so many great people doing amazing things to raise awareness of the need for change in how we approach this for blogs and helping to break down the stigma that men need to tough it out and keep their personal struggles under wraps. So let's pick up the conversation.
1: So it can be confronting for some people to hear people talking about this sort of stuff, but I thought, hang on a minute, we need to see more of this We need to see more examples of men talking about their inner world and their emotions and their feelings and their ups and downs because it's something we don't see enough of and hear enough of, I think.
0: Australian filmmaker Genevieve Bailey is the writer and director of the intimate, heartwarming and groundbreaking documentary, Happy Sad Man. Coming off the back of big success with her first film, I Am 11, Genevieve was inspired to find more diverse and positive portrayals of men exploring their emotional selves and Happy Sad Man is just that. After seeing the film, I was so keen to chat to Genevieve. My powerhouse producer, Charles, told me all about the effect Happy Sad Man had on him when we were first discussing making Mentel, so it felt like we were always destined to have Genevieve on the podcast, and we're so, so grateful that we're about to do just that. Genevieve Bailey, welcome to the Mentel podcast, Uh, our first female guest, and it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Firstly, I just wanted to say what a beautiful film Happy Sad Man is, and I, I wanted to acknowledge the great thing that you've done in making it and getting it out into the world. It really is amazing. I thought the way that you held space for these blokes to, um, to speak their truth in the film and express themselves is, is, is really heartwarming. So thank you for bringing the issues that are in the film and that we'll talk more about here to light uh, and helping to spread the word uh, about the hurdles that men face in managing their mental health. But tell me, how did the film come about? What was the the catalyst for you taking on what is, you know, a pretty big project?
1: Yeah, well, thank you for your feedback, Ben. It's always a huge part of my journey as a filmmaker is to hear what audiences think, and I'm really, really passionate about Happy Sad Man and how it's been resonating with people. So I'm glad that, um, yeah, it's something that you've connected with as well. Hmm. It came about through initially uh, the idea was to make a documentary about my friend John, who is at once the happiest and saddest man I've ever met. I might be happy, I
2: might be sad, I could be quite good, and I could be quite mad. I'm so bent that I'm straight. So straight that I'm bent. I'm a traveling circus in search of a pen.
1: And Johnny and I have been friends for quite a while and we don't have much in common, as sometimes we joke, other than the fact that he says we're both opportunists when it comes to having fun. <laughs> so um, you know, just looking at us from the outset, um we don't come from similar backgrounds, um, we're very different in age group, um, you know, he's old enough to be my father, he's nothing like yeah. my father was, we're just very different people but what I was always really interested in with my friendship um, over the years with John was his ability to express his inner world in such an articulate and illustrative and creative way mm. and I've sort of felt, well, this is something that I'd like to explore in my filmmaking because John and I have such an interesting bond and such an open um, friendship and dialogue around mental health. So John experiences very high highs and very low lows Mm. and something that he's not afraid to talk about.
2: There's all this dogma around depression. They say your thinking becomes really delusional and unbalanced. I actually don't think that's right. I just think you get a look at your dark side and it's not pretty.
1: So it can be confronting for some people. Uh, to hear uh, people talking about this sort of stuff. But I thought, hang on a minute, we need to see more of this. We need to see more examples of men talking about their inner world and their emotions and their feelings and their ups and downs because it's something we don't see enough of and hear enough of, I think.
2: It's like I was brought up in the school. You tough it out, son. You know, you tough it out. It's like you're weak. You're weak. bastard.
0: You're a whoosh.
1: But who benefits from that system?
0: There's a moment in the film which is a really tender moment for, for you and John. And you say uh, to him that nobody benefits from, from locking up and not expressing themselves or talking about exactly what's going on with them. Why do you think it's only now that we're kind of really starting to, to speak about and address, you know, the adverse impacts that stereotypes or even trauma and, and experiences that men have in their lives?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, many of us have grown up, all of us have grown up, I think, in this culture, with this idea that men don't want to talk about their feelings. Mm. And I say that in the film, that we grow up in this culture that men don't want to talk about their feelings, men just want to push under the carpet, you know, man up, all these expressions we hear. and. I think what I found through the making of Happy Sad Man is that in many instances, the opposite is true. Many men do want to talk about what they're going through, but they need to do so in an environment and with people or a person that they feel safe around. Yeah. That's a big thing. And it sounds like stating the obvious, but the reality is it doesn't matter what your gender is. If you're not comfortable with you know, a situation, it can be very hard to open up and talk about what's going on. So I think that things are changing. I think even in the last five years, there's been much more awareness around Mm. mental well-being and mental health and and mental fitness and growing emotional muscle and there's a lot of great Mm. individuals and organizations out there who who are bringing this to the forefront of people's minds and I think that that's a great thing and and for me as a woman growing up I was really aware that I had a lot of really interesting men in my life lots of friendships um, people have collaborated with through filmmaking or making documentaries you meet all sorts of people and I have friends who are much younger than me you know young teenagers I have friends who are in their 90s. And so I've always had a very diverse array of people in my life, and that includes men. And I felt that nobody benefits from seeing a really narrow view of what it is to be a man today. Because actually, you know, anyone listening to this right now would know all different sorts of men. Who, If you put them all in a room together, maybe they wouldn't all get along, maybe they would, maybe you'd be surprised. But actually, what I love celebrating in my filmmaking is difference. Rather than just making films about a bunch of people who are like me, I've always liked exploring difference. And I think storytelling and filmmaking has a really amazing ability to shift um, people's prejudice sometimes and people's intolerances. And and often, you know, we just fear difference. So for me, that's something that I love doing, but in an entertaining way, not in a really didactic, educational, informative way. I want my films to be entertaining. So I think that the reality is that when we ask men or expect men or assume men want to push their feelings deep down and under the carpet and ignore them, you know, those men don't benefit from that and neither do any of the women or children or any gender in, in their life. So we're doing everyone a disservice really when we have these damaging notions around masculinity and these ideas that, you know, men should be men of action and, and, and few words. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, Happy Sad Man has been a way to explore these themes through the eyes of five very different guys, but guys that if you watch the film, you know, you could probably see a friend of yours, or a relative, or a bit of yourself in, so it's really accessible to hear their stories and and be able to relate to them because they are actually, you know, they're real people. It's not a fictional film. It's a it's a very intimate documentary.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what's that's what's so good about it is is you know you're you're on that journey with these guys and they're telling their stories and and like I said before, speaking their truth. And I think that's what what um, you know is what. So, it so stays with you uh, so long um, after watching the film. Like you said, it's not it's not you know teaching people something. Going, we need to do this. We need to do that. This is what's happening here. Just letting people tell their stories and showing the person there rather than trying to teach a lesson and I, I think when I saw the the tagline for the film that says you know happy sad man we all know one to me that was almost like that little subtle call to action for people to say you know have you ever inquired to a mate or to your brother or to your father or, or, or anyone as to what's going on with them you know sometimes you can see people or guys particularly expressing themselves the, the joy in their life if they're having a great time they'll they'll express themselves emotionally but when they're not feeling so good, they'll be quite reserved and reflective and maybe even anxious. And, and you know, men can flip from from those two uh, sides of themselves from one moment to the next. But like I said, it's almost like a little call to action to, to inquire and speak to people. And, and it's only then when you get down that you can really connect with someone. And for me, I've always noticed that, you know, we all benefit from empathy. That's, that's that's a no-brainer and connection and love. And it's when we're really vulnerable that it opens that pathway to empathy and deeper connections. And I think, you know, it's like when you're talking to these guys in, this, in, in the film, uh, it's in this setting, but you can see that, that uh, it really opens those doors.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that was a, a big part of my motivation throughout the production process was acknowledging that these guys and their generous spirits in sharing these stories like they're really brave and they're really um Mm. inspiring and they're really strong uh but at the same time I thought to myself well I think when people watch this not only can we get a sense as a viewer of how we can be better you know better be there for ourselves and Mm. better take care of our own mental health but actually it can help us understand how to better be there for a mate or a loved one because that's something that we're not really taught it's very hard to know you know, a lot of the time people will say, you know, you've got to be there for your mates, you've got to have their back, you got to look out for your, mm. you know, for your buddies. But what does it actually look yeah, like? And that's yeah. something that um, the guys talk about in the film. Like what does it actually look like? If you've got a friend who's prone to anxiety and having panic attacks and does not want to come out, you know, for a run with you or doesn't want mm. to come to a party or or doesn't want to go out for drinks, well, what do you actually do? And how do you be there for someone who you know quite frankly might just want to be in bed all day. So we asked the guys, you know, I asked the guys in the film like what's helpful and what's not helpful. It's a very pragmatic part of the filmmaking process where I was like I'm just going to ask them straight up like yeah. what works and and that varies for everyone. But actually it's what Grant in the film talks about as his recipe. So for him he knows his recipe over over years of feeling up and down is that he has to get in the water every day. He has to surf every day. He has to keep in contact with his friends, he has to spend time with his family, he has to eat well. Um, so for everyone it's different but I think just, just even getting used to the idea that we each have our own recipe and when we start feeling a bit wobbly, we've got to kind of go back to those notes and be like, all right, have I been checking in with myself? Have I been being kind to myself? Have I been eating well? Have I been sleepy enough? All those things that sound really obvious mm-hmm. but we need to practice our own recipe.
0: Absolutely. Sometimes it's so hard to to keep those things up. Like they seem so simple, Mm. but it really does sort of come um, through habit. You know, it's all those things you read about habit and how they form and become part of your character. You know, I was just talking to my wife uh, about something similar. You know, I'd worked hard to be a bit more of a conscious observer of of myself Mm -hmm. and seeing myself uh, kind of getting caught in patterns of anxiety or or even depression and fear. It took me about you know three or four weeks to realize that I'd that I'd kind of slipped out of it and occasionally I was kind of having these you know real sort of anxious sort of um, moments where I you know I'd kind of bottle up and um, it, it took me a while to figure out that I'd actually gotten out of that pattern but now I've gone okay it's the routine these are the things that I need to do I need to make sure that this becomes habit you know this is priority number one you know because it's so easy for us all of us to kind of slip into things and go okay i was going to meditate but shit i'm pretty busy today at work i'm I'm gonna have to skip it and then i'll get i'll get you know into work and, and that'll make me feel better tomorrow i'll get back into the routine and it's so easy to kind of slip out of it i think
1: yeah for sure and i think for some people um it can especially if you're feeling down Someone's saying to you, Have you tried yoga? Or mm-hmm. um, Have you been meditating? Yeah. Or Are you getting enough sleep? That can just be really irritating. If yeah, you're already yeah. feeling in a funk, the idea of people saying, You know what? Ever since I went gluten free, I've just been feeling.
0: <laughs> that's good for you.
1: Yeah, yeah we kind of joke, you know, um, when we do screenings of the film and chat with audiences that sometimes what works for someone else won't work for you. Yeah. And that's okay. Grant talks in the film about having to go shopping, really, for a good doctor. Yeah. Because the reality is, you might go and see a GP. And have you know really great you know connection and feel like yep yeah, i can i can talk and i'm comfortable mm. but you might go and see a gp or a counselor or a psychologist or psychiatrist and just feel like mm, no nah, i don't i just doesn't feel right no
0: telling yeah
1: which is totally fine it's like dating you can't expect yeah. that you're going to get along with everyone that you meet but we just always try and let people know that um even though it's frustrating you got to keep you got to keep trying. It's like um, if you went and got a really bad haircut somewhere and you wouldn't <laughs> no. go back to no. that hairdresser, would you, you'd be like, no. <laughs> He's no good, yeah. Um, so we're just trying, yeah, we just try and encourage people to know that if they're seeking help, whether that's from, you know, uh, a friend or a family member or a colleague or a professional and it doesn't feel right, it's annoying but it shouldn't mm. put you off seeking further help because mm. it does. It does put a lot of people off. You know, we speak to people who say they've had a bad experience or they met someone and just didn't feel right and we just always want to encourage people to know that it's just like getting a bad haircut like mm. it's annoying but it'll grow out yeah I'll,
0: I'll never forget like i the first time i went and saw a psychologist um it was actually at a time when i was studying psychology at uni and i asked one of my um lecturers look hey have you got the name of a psychologist i can say i think i'd like to talk to someone and he sent me a list of about 20 and I was mm-hmm. like, whoa, that's a lot. What's going on there? And he goes, just go and see someone. And, if they, and exactly what you said, if you don't gel with them and, and, uh, and get along with them, you don't feel a vibe, then move on to the next one. So yeah, it is super important to do that, as Grant says, to do a bit of shopping around. Yeah. I love those terms you were saying, which I think I recognize as, as Gotcha for Life terms and Gus Warland's initiative, the uh, you know building mental fitness um, and flexing emotional mus- muscle. I think they're such great ways of saying that you need to keep up this kind of exercise for your mind as well as you do for your body,
1: yeah, for sure, and not waiting till you feel really crappy, yeah you know just just to check in with that stuff, because um a lot of people think, well, I'm not feeling that bad, so you know i i don't I don't really need to address it at the moment because I'm not feeling that bad, but yeah. the reality is, um yeah, looking after ourselves and not waiting till things get really pear shaped is is a much better option than waiting till we feel you know really terrible, shit. So, yeah, absolutely, yeah.
0: It always brings me such joy to see people expressing themselves fully in the world. And I know I've got one friend who in you know, ISO has just thrived incredibly uh, in this area doing uh, dances on TikTok because uh, he's such a, <laughs> a, a vibrant guy and he, you know, he's, he's comfortable in men's clothes and he's comfortable in women's clothes and he's been you know, doing different dances to kind of re- reflect the different genders. And it's just been an amazing, he's had such an amazing reaction as well. In the film, David um, is someone who I, you know, was just really enamoured with in that respect and the way he expressed himself and sort of his creative side. Uh, and he just comes across as such a, a lovely bloke, a gentle bloke, um, very creative and expressive. And he's seemingly like very in touch with those really kind of feminine qualities that we recognise. Not, not so often in men, but what I, what I love, you know, is, is um, men who are in touch, like I said, with both sides of themselves when i think of masculinity i often think about a weight of having to be a particular way i don't know if it gives you the freedom to be yourself when you're aiming to be masculine i like to really focus on things i find funny and i find masculinity quite banal really and and not very very interesting to me really how did you guys meet, you and David meet? And can you tell us a little bit more about uh, about David himself?
1: Yeah, sure. So David is officially one of my favourite humans in the world mm. and I've met a lot of people. Um, I actually remember the first day I saw him at a distance. Uh, we were both finalists in uh, an award ceremony at the Sydney Opera House actually. Oh, and yeah. I remember seeing him from a distance and thinking, who is that? I want to be friends with him. <laughs> yeah. I just thought he looked glorious. He was carrying this artwork and... Um, we, we met through that award ceremony and became friends and he, back then he was mostly working, um, as a painter, like an artist. Mm -hmm. And now he's moved more into, well, he does all sorts of different artworks, um, sculptures, um, and performance work, which he's most recently over the last few years, been doing a lot of performance art with his sausage dog, Tina. Yes. Uh, so they have a really interesting (laughs) bond and I'm a dog lover. I, I love dogs. David has this really, really enchanting magnetic personality. Mm. So people meet him, um, all different sorts of people will meet him and just warm to him. He's got a beautiful voice. He's done a lot of radio actually. Mm-hmm. And he's just got this really open, inquiring and curious mind that I love. And he's also got a very wicked sense of humour. So when David and I hang out, I saw him actually on the weekend to dinner we just laugh so much. Yeah. It's such a workout for my tummy to just giggle that much. He's the sort of person who likes to celebrate the absurdity of life. Yeah. And, you know, especially with a year like 2020, this year in so many ways has oh, yeah. been quite absurd. And sometimes it's just really great to have that friend that you can just kind of like laugh, you know, laugh with and but also have have really tender, um, important conversations as well. So David is definitely that for me. And it's been such a joy uh, making Happy Sad Man and releasing it into the world and seeing audiences just fall in love with him. We had a men's group come and watch it in Brisbane and they got up and applauded David. We've got younger <laughs> people, older people, everyone watches David and just says, oh, I want to meet David, I want to meet David. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, yep, that's exactly why I included David in the film.
0: Yeah, his energy his energy comes, you know, through the film. Like it, it really does. He's, it's like his his energy is in the room with you. And like I said, I, I, I just love that. I love... I love people who, you know, can feel kind of comfortable and confident to just express who they are and, and not worry about what anyone else thinks.
1: Yeah, it, it is special.
0: Someone as well who we've also had on uh, the podcast and I, I loved uh, the chat we had with Grant. He's such an amazing bloke and um, he also has, a you know, a really lovely energy and he's also doing great work to spread the word on, on mental health and, and mental fitness uh, through One Wave, his initiative. Personally, I thought his story is, is really well ref- reflected in that phrase, happy, sad man. I thought it really kind of captured him and that might just be because we, you know, we had a, a sort of deeper chat ourselves and I got to know him a little bit better. He seems to be that guy who you know, seemingly, seemingly had it all, the successful career, traveling the world, um, but really it was you know, masking that he was struggling a bit on the inside.
1: I was on a workshop to Mexico. I was working for a tequila company At the time, I felt sweet for the first day, but then I started getting really bad anxiety. It was a combination of jet lag and partying too much. I ended up in my hotel room. I couldn't sleep, started thinking people were talking about me, and I couldn't see anything getting better, and...
2: I, that was the first time I thought about taking my life, which is the scariest thing ever. And
1: I remember I had a phone call from my brother. He didn't even know what was going on, but it was just a random call. And I just remember talking to him and thinking, okay, shit, uh, things it's going to be all right. I met Grant through a friend of mine, um, Stefan Hunt, who's a really amazing artist and, and filmmaker and, and human. And um, I saw these photos on Instagram of this guy surfing in like crazy fluorescent yeah. suits and outfits. And I was like, what is this? And Steph said, oh, that's Grant. You've got to meet him. So um, Grant started one way of initiative in these Fluoro Friday events where people were going down to the surf mm. in ridiculous outfits, and it was all to raise awareness, as Grant says, for what's an invisible illness. A lot of the time, mm. mental illness can be invisible, but yet it doesn't discriminate based on your age or where you live. So um, Grant has been just such an amazing person to get to know and, and a friend, and he 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 tells me that that when he when I first approached him and told him about Happy Sad Man. When he heard the name, it really resonated with him because he was yeah. like, yeah, I can relate to that. I'm a happy, sad man. Yeah. And many men along the journey of actually when I was making the film, whether I met someone at a party or at a you know work thing or at a barbecue, when people would ask what am I working on, I'd say a film called Happy Sad Man. Mm. So many men would say, oh, I'm a happy, sad yeah. man. What's the film about? I don't need to know. I, I can tell what it's going to be about. And I was like, that's why I love the title because actually, like Grant said, he said it just really sums up, you know, describing who he is because he said often when, you know, we think that we're the life of the party and you're the guy who's always going to be there for his mates and shouting drinks and the last one dancing at the bar, Mm. well, then that's who you have to be all the time. You can't suddenly be the guy who's struggling to get out of bed Mm. or the guy who's too anxious to turn up to work. So I think that was really inspiring to meet Grant and hear that um, his journey has, you know, been so impacted in a positive way through being in the water and through surf yeah. and the fact that he knows that um, he can share that story with the broad community and let them understand that it's okay to not be okay all the time. Yeah. It's not it's not okay to suffer in silence, but it is okay to actually have times where you just don't feel up for doing what you'd normally do. And um, as Grant says, you know, a lot of people who bring a lot of joy to the world and are very humorous and fun and outgoing, um, they feel that pressure sometimes to to, you know, be that person all the time. Yeah. And anyone listening right now would be able to think of at least a couple of people they know. Yeah. That they consider the life of the party. You know, that person who's always sort of, um, you know, shining really bright. Absolutely. But we have to really look out for those people because often people feel um, that they, they themselves have to be the source of joy. They can't, um, you know, they can't ask for help. So, mm. yeah, Grant's a really, really awesome guy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've always been a, quite a sensitive Sensitive person and and mm-hmm. very kind of in touch with my emotions. But when I was younger, I didn't see it that way. I just saw myself as a sensitive person because that's what everyone would say, you know. And when mm-hmm. when I was the guy trying to put on you know Counting Crows or something, uh, when everyone else was wanting to put some you know some uh, house music on, uh, everyone was sort of saying, "Oh man, why do you have to be so emo all the time?" Jesus, you know. So it was always <laughs> it was always quite um, evident to me that everybody wanted to have the sort of you You know the life of the party situation, so you know that's where it kind of developed for me. And then you know, when I got older, I started to realise that it is just that I'm sensitive. And then I was, you know, felt felt really really blessed to be you know so in touch with my emotions because when you get older, and and I've had my own life experiences, and you know I've been using them to sort of sort of engage in those conversations with other blokes who might be struggling. That's when it becomes, you know, quite valuable, and you realise that it's a shining attribute. It's not, a, it's not one to be pushed down and, and and pushed away.
1: For sure, and and so much of that comes from our upbringing. You know, like yeah. if we're raised with men who, you know, are pretty stoic and and tell us to, you know, um, get over it and mm. and just like you know, um, stress less and get on with things, then that's our exposure from a young age of of, of what's important. You know, is just to, to not bother people, like not burden people with your emotions. And, and so it's understandable that so many of us grow up thinking that um, expressing vulnerability is, is not a positive thing. But what I love about Happy Sad Man is that all these men, in their own ways, share their vulnerability and show that actually it makes them a really great friend and a really great family member and a great colleague because they're in tune not only with their own emotional needs but with other people's as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I personally love being around people who really feel life. Yes. Um My little dog Remedy I often say he's a happy sad Remedy. dog because he it. feels life. Yeah, yeah, he feels life very deeply. But he knows how to look after himself. If he he gets so excited when I get home, oh yeah, that he just is beside himself. He goes and gets a toy and just suckles like <laughs> the ear of the toy for twenty minutes till it's nearly like like completely like soft yeah. and wet and gross. And then he just takes a deep breath and he's like. All right, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> yep, okay. He just has to do it and it's his like self-soothing and that's how he soothes himself. And people come over and laugh and go, what is he doing? I'm like, no, nah, just leave him to it. Don't touch him. He's just got to do it for a bit and then he'll be all right. And we've all got to find our own, <laughs> our own sort of methods for soothing ourselves sometimes.
0: So- self-soothing, yeah. No, I love that. Yeah. But it's so true, like you know what you're saying about the influence of society, and I think it's you know as well a lot of the the world and society embracing you know alternative medicines and alternative therapies and different ways of looking at yourself um, that you know have have this influence. But you have that realization that we're all the same at our core, you know, and that was what I was talking about um, before about me having that realization that I'd stop becoming the conscious observer of of, of myself. Um, And being in in, uh, connection with my, you know, my, my true self, my real self deep down that I'd had that observation, you know, it was, happened to me when I was sitting in, in meditation, but I could see myself, that calm self, that happy one. I don't want to use the word happier because it's not really happy. It's content, Uh, calm, content Mm -hmm. self. Uh, sitting underneath everything, and then it's really all of the uh, impacts of society and experiences that we have out in society, um, and even the ones from the past that sort of add on to that and and shape us. But it's the societal influences as well of you know what it, what is, what it's meant to be to be a, to be a man, you know what, how you're meant to act and be in the world. And I think those influences are such a heavy burden on a lot of people who who are more in touch with themselves, blokes who are more in touch with themselves.
1: Mm. I noticed uh, as I was travelling around Australia in, in cinemas before you know um, COVID hit, mm. uh, meeting all different sorts of guys with the film, and it was very interesting hearing how the film was resonating with them. And one young guy who saw the film in Melbourne was at the cinema on his own, and I was chatting with him afterwards. And we have these pieces of paper uh, where we ask people to write down their reflections as they come out of the cinema. Yeah, and what he wrote down, he you know he handed it to me, and. I read it and uh, I'll read it, I'll share it now because his words just really, really struck me and have stuck with me ever since. So he wrote, I saw Happy Sad Man. In the past 15 months, lots of family members have died. I've lost lots of friends. I've gone through a breakup. One night I walked to this park. I used to play it with my family when I was a little kid and I tried to scream and nothing came out. Then I looked at the sky and it was burnt purple and beautiful and everything was still. Sometimes I forget that things can be two things at once. Terrifying and calm, unstable and okay. Like nothing fits and like everything is light and warm. Happy and sad. Thank you for reminding me.
0: Wow, what an observation. I just I just got goosebumps hearing that.
1: And yeah, he was twenty one. He was twenty one. Yeah, wow. And I said, Tom and he said, Yeah. I just met him. I said, Do you know how it feels to spend seven years making a film and then have someone write on a piece of paper? <laughs> that yeah
0: yeah yeah so
1: he's like oh just being honest I was like it was amazing and it just reminded me that you know the fact that a film in an hour and a half um can remind people that it's okay that things are two things at once Mm. it's like that's actually very that's actually very powerful I think I think that we so often aren't given permission or we feel like we're not given permission to feel yeah and a lot of people who have watched Happy Sad Man said it reminds them that it's okay to feel it's okay to be themselves it's okay to get worried it's okay to feel scared sometimes it's okay to feel all sorts of things and i think that's the gift that these men in the film have given is reminding so many people that it's okay to be you know where you're at at that moment and it's also okay to acknowledge that things change and you know to use the surfing analogy we have to learn how to you know deal with the waves in life and i think 2020 has been a good example of many people having to deal with um you know, sudden shifts in life. And the reality is that in Australia, uh, you know, as you know, the statistics, we have so many men, um, you know, taking their lives yeah. and, and, and suffering in silence. And I think that the reality is that a lot of um, studies show that women suffer just as much from mental health struggles mm-hmm. as men, um, but women are more likely to talk about it, yeah. more likely to seek help. And more likely you know to to feel connected and supported with more people than men are, so I just think that once we know we know these facts now, um we have to do something about it, and I think being able to be there for ourselves and other people you know is vital, so yeah. i feel I feel really optimistic that things are getting better and and they need to yeah
0: absolutely. I think that's it. It's just practice now for blokes, you know. For so long, they've had that, um, you know, that idea that, like you were saying, that you need to tough it out, bottle it up, uh, don't talk about it, don't have a cry, don't whinge, and it's it's gone on for so long that it's almost that. You know, there's so many layers of, of crap over the top of it that you know you, you need practice to kind of be pushing through and and learning how to express your emotions. I think, and I know it's it's definitely been uh, that way for me now with the my wife now that uh, has. Really helped me kind of push through and express my emotions because I I would often sit there and, you know, she would say, you know, what are you feeling? And I'd say something. She's like, "Mm, that's not an emotion. (laughs) And it it took me a little while to really get in touch with that side of myself and, and learn how to do it. And it was almost, yeah, in the beginning, just impossible, you know? So it was really having someone you could have those conversations with. Um, and as Gus Wallen says, you know, you've got a you, you need to have a mate. And that's what he's looking to help with. But, you know, every bloke has that one mate, or whether it's, you know, it could be their mum. It could be, it could be their sister. It could be their wife. Uh, it could be their brother. It could be their father. It could be anyone. But having that one person to be able to, to really sort of peel back the layers and be their true, authentic self with is just super important. But I think that one thing for me has just been about practice. You know, it's like everything. It's like sport for blokes, you know, to use that analogy. Yeah. Um, you've just got to keep at it to get better at it. But you, you, you will get better at it because it is who you are at your core. You, you, that's how you feel. You can express that and you can you can really benefit from, from opening up and, and, and connecting with someone and, and, and feeling empathy with each other.
1: Yeah, it's interesting when you say that um, your wife mentioned to you that's not an emotion, mm. I think you said, that's what she said. Mm. I think last year, the year before, I started asking people, friends, what's your least favorite emotion? Mm. And I remember asking one of my friends and he said, I don't know, like loneliness, is that an emotion? And I said, yeah, that's an emotion. He goes, well, I don't know, dude. I don't know if you realize. It's only been the last like three years I've actually even realized what emotions are and even thought about this stuff. So like just asking me that, like I said, yeah, loneliness, that's an emotion. Like for him... That's a real touch point that he doesn't like. He doesn't like feeling lonely. He doesn't like feeling isolated. Mm. Whereas for some people, your least favorite emotion might be shame, yeah. or it might be um, uh, feeling feeling betrayed. You know, for all of us, at least favorite emotion might be boredom. It might be some people who just <laughs> that drives yeah. them, you know, like up the wall to feel bored or to feel stressed. Or all of us have different things that um, you know we dislike feeling. Mm. And I think leaning into that, leaning into the discomfort and understanding it. For me, when I made Happy Sad Men, I, I thought about the the fact that I'm leaning into these conversations that you know, I don't come from a family that talk about this stuff. So I I, I didn't come from a background I haven't studied psychology or grown up in a home where everyone's always mm. checking in with each other's feelings. I just really wanted to get good at it. And I was yeah. like, well <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna flex this muscle and, and practice and learn and understand and it's something that I think we're much more capable of doing than we give ourselves credit for sometimes is just because we're not good at something to start with, whether that's hockey or yeah. surfing or tap dancing or cooking or whatever, we shouldn't feel afraid to start something just because we haven't ever done it
0: before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's putting yourself out there. That uh, can be the, the, the trick at times. You know, It's like picking up something new can be difficult, but you really, you know, you really just need to stick at it. There's no, there's no shame in, in, in being a beginner at something. Coming back to that idea I was talking about before about blokes being in touch with, with more uh, feminine qualities when we're talking about David and the, and the feminine side, someone else in the film who also seems to be very much uh, in touch with themselves in that way is Jake. But he appears to be also very much in touch with his kind of stereotypical masculine side.
2: I grew up on action films. Most of all my role models were bad, bad 80s, 90s action heroes. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Kurt Russell. Masculinity is just bred in by culture, by stories, and that men usually do the brave and courageous things. But women do amazing things too. Definitely seeing the world as good guys and bad guys. And I like to think of myself as a good guy.
0: And he's a war photographer, mm-hmm. and so he seems to have chased that life. But when he's at home, he's living in a house with his mum and his grandmother, who, who seem to create this um, amazing, calming, nurturing environment for him. Did you find that with Jake that he seems to kind of live in these two polar opposite worlds, where he's in one in one world he's expressing his full masculine side, and in another world he's he's expressing his you know more feminine side?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I should just mention for people listening that. There's five guys in Happy Sad Man mm-hmm. and three of them I knew before I started making the film. So Jake was a guy that I'd been friends with for quite a okay. while. And when I started making Happy Sad Man, I thought, oh, Jake's story is a really interesting mm. one. I wonder if he'd be interested in being part of the film. And as you say, he, he um, had been working for a long time as a war, f- war photographer and based in a whole lot of intense conflict zones, Afghanistan, Syria and different places across Africa mm. and Asia. So I was exposed to really really intense distressing situations and he'd come back to Australia you know for, for Christmas or for a short you know short period of time and be surrounded by this like amazing womb of a household yeah. with these his loving father and brother and sister and mum and amazing grandma who I called June Bud.
0: <laughs> That's what my wife's my wife's nickname is her middle name is June. Oh really? Yeah.
1: <laughs> it was just always such a joy for me and um, I en- ended up hanging out with Jake's family when he was in Afghanistan. I remember writing to him once saying, do you mind that I hang out with them when you're not here? <laughs> and he said, no, nah, no, nah, it's all good. Your family, Jen. Uh, that's awesome. So I really loved that. And I often just sort of admired the fact that they were very supportive of Jake. Of course, no one would say they particularly want their kid going into a mm. war zone, but they respected that Jake had this great sense of purpose and that he wanted to do as much as he could with his life to raise awareness and highlight the plight of other people. Yeah who were not in privileged positions so yeah jake is very articulate and when given the space you know to have these sort of conversations in a safe space yeah that was one of the special parts of making happy sad man was to spend that time with jake and hearing about his story and understanding um things to do with ptsd Mm. that Mm. a lot of people probably had never heard him talk about
2: ptsd post-traumatic stress disorder um it doesn't have to be war-related. It can be a breakup, it can be anything. It all comes down to some bad memories and those memories haunt you. You can be antisocial. You can be pretty aggressive to your loved ones, verbally. You don't trust people. I know in my case, I was looking to seek more traumatic events. Most of the time I was just wanting to feel like I could get a resolution. And then I can just move on. But then some things never get a resolution.
1: So, you know, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is something that people can also experience as children and go through life not really processing or receiving support for it. And it can hit you, you know, when you're 40 or 50 or 70 or 80. And so I think Jake had this great ability to shine a light on the fact that trauma um, lives within, you know, many people. And can come up in all different sorts of ways. So I'm really grateful that Jake was such an honest, you know, participant in the film. Because I think it's helping to shine a light on things that can be pretty hard to talk about.
0: Absolutely. It's one of the things that I I noticed in the film that a lot of the guys seem to have really fantastic relationships and deep connections with women in their lives. I think that comes across particularly with Jake, like we're saying, and it feels like that really balances him out. And uh, like we were talking about before, it's probably just that 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 women have you know have always, like you said, they've never had trouble expressing their emotions. But it's just great to see those those relationships uh, in the film.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would just add to that that I've definitely discovered over the last few years there are plenty of women who not only struggle to express their emotions but struggle to encourage it in other people as well. Right. Like, you know, I think as much as we like to say um, men bottle up their feelings and men need to just talk mm. more, yeah, unfortunately there's so so many women who don't feel that they can yeah, okay. um, and don't feel encouraged to. So I think as much as we gender it, I actually think it's got so much to do with the environment we're in mm. and what we've been encouraged to do. And so I definitely think there's women who who find it hard to express themselves as well. And sometimes, especially when women, you know, live busy lives and have, have children or grandchildren often feel like, you know, as as um, empathetic, compassionate individuals, they have to put other people's needs first. Mm-hmm. So sometimes in the same way that men feel that they have to um, look after others, women do as well. So I just definitely think that um, it's a it's a case-by-case mm-hmm. thing that people don't necessarily feel that they're allowed to, you know, quotation marks, take up space yeah. when it comes to feeling those feels.
0: So it's more of that learned behavior from, you know, uh, well, not necessarily always upbringings, but, you know, from the people that you have around you that that, um, that it's better to, to bottle it up or haven't been shown the benefits and the beauty of expressing yourselves.
1: Yeah, I think obviously, you know, if you look at studies, it would show that women are, are more likely to than men. But I think we have to also remember there's always exceptions to those kind yeah. of stats.
0: Yeah. Now, there's one bloke who I was really drawn to in the film, probably someone I'd love to have the, you know, the stereotypical beer and a chat with, and that's Ivan. Mm -hmm. He comes across as that, you know, that, that real, you know, quote unquote, quintessential Aussie bloke, lives and works on the land, not shy of a bit of hard work. He's very evident, very quickly, that he's not constrained by that, that masculine uh, stereotype. He's, he's, he's um, very sensitive as well, and particularly to other blokes' uh, needs. And he seems to have a good balance with all of us. seeing him talk openly and, and encouraging some of the blokes in the film to talk openly about their lives and their feelings was really heartwarming. It was some of the best moments in the film for me.
2: What guys will do, farmers, let's say, they'll make sure their tractor's right. They'll make sure the car's right. They'll make sure the plumbing's right on the shed. They'll do all that stuff, but they don't do anything for themselves.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about Ivan and how was it for you at first going out there in the bush and meeting him and, and the other blokes that he helps out?
1: Yeah, when I met Ivan, I knew within like 10 seconds, okay, this is this guy's awesome. Yeah. Um, I met him when I was making the film. So out of the five guys, the kind of key participants in the film He's the one that I I, I met during the production, mm-hmm. the la- latest in production. But it did not take very long to get acquainted with each other. And um, that's because, as you say, Ivan is hes just what you see is what you get. And he's got a great laugh and he's very cheeky, but he's also got this really amazing compassionate nature. And he's seen so many people struggle on the land. He lives in country Victoria and anyone who's listening who's who knows anyone from a farming family would know that It's tough, you Mm -hmm. know, and I think Ivan has seen that many marriages, you know, break down, that many people um, at risk and unfortunately, you know, dying out there. And Ivan wants to do something about it. So he works as a rural uh, mental health outreach Mm -hmm. worker. So he goes onto farms and visits blokes, chats with them. And I remember the first time I met Ivan, he said, if you turn up and say, G'day, I'm doing a mental health check. They're not yeah. going to let you in. So he, he said I would go and chat with them about their new tractor or talk about their cattle or, you know, get chatting about, you know, how the finances is at the moment and then, you know, slowly over time gain the trust of these people um so that he could refer them to a financial advisor or a marriage counsellor or a GP or a psychologist or things like that. So when I saw Ivan doing his thing, I thought, oh, my goodness, every town needs mm. an Ivan, more than one Ivan. Yeah. Um, if we could clone him, we would, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because he just—he's in um, his seventies. He's in his seventies, and he's got so much energy. Wow,
0: he did not seem like he's in his seventies—that's for sure.
1: Yeah, and as he explains in the film, he's had two families. Um, he's with his second wife Jenny. He's got two young guys who were in their late teens when we shot mm-hmm. the film, and he's just really passionate about making a difference. And I, I just love being around Ivan and and his dogs and just the way he sort of talks in such a direct way about again what's helpful what's not helpful Mm -hmm. what are the warning signs what to do if you've got someone who's really stubborn and does not want to talk these are some things you might be able to do to help them open up so i think the mixture of guys in the film being from from cities people who've traveled a lot people who live on the land work on the land um people who have got you know a diagnosis of bipolar or living with anxiety or talking about PTSD, Um, these are all things that uh, each of these guys bring up in the film in a way that I feel is really, yeah, authentic and accessible. Yeah, (laughs) Ivan's just such a joy to be around. It makes me really um, excited when when we're able to be in the same room again, when I know I'm going to get to see them. I I talk about the happy, sad men as being the boy band I never (laughs) knew I was going to be part of. (laughs) I love that. Cause um yeah they can sing I tell ya oh all really of them. <laughs> Have they, yeah
0: yeah so you've obviously they've all been in the in the room together a, a few times so yeah I can imagine that
1: yeah it was a it's such a special day to see the guys meet mm. the first time they all met at once um, a few of them had met but um, the first time the five of them all met was at the world premiere of the mm-hmm. film at the Melbourne International Film Festival and it was so fun they were like instant brothers and every time after that that they would meet, you could just see the bond growing. And Ivan gets really emotional when he watches the film because if he watches it and Grant's not there, he wants to give Grant a yeah. hug. Or if he watches it and David's not there, he's like, oh, how's David? I miss him. So, um, you know, they all live in different parts mm. of the country and and the opportunity to get together is always one that we, yeah, feel really excited about.
0: Yeah. Well, look, Ivan loves all parts of life uh, and I, it's almost like he sees, um, you know, he accepts that life is all of these things. And I think sometimes, Mm. you know, that's, that's what we've been saying. You know, it's that resistance to the, to the stuff, tough stuff or the hard conversations. You know, you lose your job. It's the, the, the end of the world, you know, the world is caving in or, you know, you get married. What a brilliant moment or, you know, anything like that, those two sort of opposites, but it's all of those things. He, he, he seems to, you know, talk about in the same way as it's just an experience you have in life. He knows that, that, we all have the tools to deal with them. You just need to know how to access them. And to me, it just seemed that watching Ivan, that he was really so comfortable and confident in himself and that it seemed to give him a real balance.
1: Yeah, for sure. And one of the real joys uh, for me as a filmmaker, as I said, is seeing people watch the film. And we took it out to Country Victoria to Ivan's community and it was the majority of the audience were for farming families and the, the cinema was packed. And at the end, this woman came up to me and she said, well, I came to the matinee with my friend and then we brought our husbands back to the evening screening because we wanted to suss it out <laughs> yeah, first, yeah. you know. And uh, she said, you know, I'm from a farming family and we're pretty stoic and, you know, my husband, you know, had has had depression for a long time now. So I asked him at the end of the movie just now, you know, what do you reckon? And he said, oh, I don't know. At the start I had sort of all this pain across my chest <laughs> and then by the time the credits rolled it just sort of all melted yeah, away. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, so cool hearing that from someone, um, you know, in such a succinct, like I said, like such an expressive way. And people at screenings have been hanging around, like that screening, people hung around for literally three hours after the film finished. Wow. And had had scones and jam and cream because it's the country and they lay on all the caramel slice, the fruit salad and the tea and people just hung around. And it's really for us about community engagement, mm. like bringing people together, which is hard to do yeah. at the moment. Um, But bringing people together to talk and connect because once people watch the film, you know, a lot of the psychologists who have seen the film and psychiatrists and people who work in mental health say it gives people permission because sometimes you just need to see someone else doing it first. Mm. And, you know, I understood that in theory, but now that I've actually toured the film and seen it, it's like, wow, people do feel really ready to talk. And because the film's hopeful, the credits roll and, you know, there's tears and whatnot, but people aren't leaving the cinema going, oh, gosh, life is... Life is Dark, people actually feel quite buoyed. We have people actually really energetic coming up to us, like really chatty and, and sharing stories. But um, there was a guy actually who came up. Um, we had a screening in country, um, northern New South Wales, and he came up and said to me, oh, I was a bit nervous about coming to see this film. I thought, oh, I don't know if I'm up for it. Like I'm already depressed. I don't know if I want to be more depressed. No. But after watching it, it's not depressing. Yeah, It's not depressing at all. It's uplifting. You should You should tell everyone... It's uplifting. I'll be telling people it's uplifting because then I wouldn't have felt so anxious all afternoon about coming here. And I laughed. I said, oh, well, thank you for letting me know that. But I thought, yeah, isn't that true? If you're anxious about seeing a film about anxiety, yeah. it makes sense, right? Because sometimes we don't really want to look at this stuff. If we're already feeling, you know, a bit flat, do you really want to watch someone talking yeah. about it? But that was why my job as a filmmaker was to have the balance, this film. You know, it's called Happy Sad mm-hmm. Man to show a balance and there's humor in it there's bits where people in the cinema laugh out loud and that's something i'm really yeah. proud of because so many documentaries share important stories but aren't necessarily you know something that you would laugh or, or find humor in so i'm glad that we we have that in there because i actually really love laughing yes
0: <laughs> me too but you, you really must be so proud in just hearing that, that's, that's amazing You know, to have your film and, and, and the people after the screening are hanging around for, for hours Just talking uh, probably not only about the film But about what's going on in their lives And it's, it, it's, a, it's a great conversation start of the film
1: Yeah, a guy who came and saw um, one of our screenings Came up to me afterwards He was wearing these bright coloured clothes And he had this big smile on his face And he said, oh, thanks so much for the movie You know, can I give you a hug? And I said, yeah, sure Um, And he just said, oh, it was really great and I've tried to take my life twice this year. And the second time, what stopped me was thinking about my 16 grandchildren and my two great-grandchildren and I imagined them all surrounding my bed, looking at my body, saying, if only Grandpa thought our love was enough. Wow. And it was such a powerful moment for me to be reminded that people, you know, he was obviously an older man to have great-grandchildren and he presented as this really, you know, bubbly colorful, um, joyful man and for him to see stories in the film and then come up and, and share that with me just reminded me that you never know what's going on for people. And I, I grew up in a home where my mum would always draw attention to that yeah. fact that you never quite know what's going on for people and if one of the boys at my primary school was, was hassling another kid or throwing someone's bag over the school fence or just being a bit of a jerk yeah. really, I remember I would talk to mum about it and she'd say, well, you never know what's going on for him at home. Yeah. And I used to think, well, hang on, is this being naughty or is this being nasty? Or... And mum would say, well, you never know what's going on mm. for him. And um, my mum's you know, taught children music her whole life and obviously has met so many kids and understood that it's true. We don't know what's going on for other people. So it can be hard, but I've learned in life, try not to take things to heart or too personally. In some situations, people are not coping and, and that kind of presents in all different sorts of ways. I'm not saying that we should excuse... Um, abusive behavior Mm. or excuse, you know, treatment that's, you know, not okay. But a lot of the time, whether it's at the pizza shop or at the gym or going down to the shops, you can kind of encounter people who are just really struggling. And for them, even getting out of the house and and doing what they have to do that day can be a challenge. So I think um, that comes down to empathy as well. And and I feel like films, you know, have educated so many of us over the years to understand other people's experiences. Um, whether it's e t or yeah. you know whatever it is you've watched as a child or whatever you're watching now, I think we have to be really mindful of of what we consume you know people are mindful of what they eat and people are mindful of physical fitness but mm. We should be careful about what we're eating when it comes to film and TV, I reckon.
0: Mm. And social media. Social media is one of the one of the big things. Obviously, it's talked about a lot, but I've even found that the last couple of weeks. You know, we, we've here at home have kind of gone, hey, um, let's have a go at, you know, taking a break from social media because it's not, you know, necessarily negative things, but sometimes you can look at other people's lives and go, well, hang on, I, I want that and I don't have that. And sometimes it can be you start comparing yourself and it can be a real a drainer, you know, on your energy
1: yeah yeah for sure i think a lot of people um are realizing that you know we spend more time than we think looking at that sort of stuff just kind of like
2: scrolling Mm,
1: mm. and scrolling and it's also as you say it's not always Mm. bad stuff there's a whole lot of like awesome dog videos (laughs) online in case you haven't seen (laughs) them (laughs) but um it's just yeah it's just about sometimes for me like unplugging and just going out um and being outside and being in our nature and stuff and not looking at a screen and all those things, we all know, like we hear it enough. We hear that those things mm. are not good for us. But when you're feeling in a bit of a funk, um, it can be really hard to to um, disrupt those kind of habits, yeah.
0: Pull yourself out. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you're right, getting outside and doing those things. That's another thing I was saying the other day and, and someone said, I love that, that you're doing that. When I'm in a funk uh, is to break that space. And, you know, I, I was saying I was getting outside, whether I, I go and you know, cause I do meditate and whether I go and sit on the beach or on the, on the grass and meditate there, or whether I get up in the morning and make sure, you know, I break the scene by, by getting out and getting in the water because, you know, I'm, you know, I've been working from home as a a nine to five Monday to Friday job for, for four months now, you know, so having a, 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 a little one as well, who's only seven months old, it's all happening in this house and you kind of forget that you need to kind of break the scene a little bit occasionally. Mm, for sure. So where to now with the with the film? It's COVID has obviously had its impact with, with screenings. What's the plan from here? It, will there be more screenings and are you looking to take it out again?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, obviously where communities are able to have public screenings soon, um, they will happen so people can get together and watch it on the big screen. But we're also going to be having virtual screenings so for communities or workplaces or oh, cool, yeah. schools or men group men's groups so depending on when this goes um, you know to air it may have already mm-hmm. um, commenced so that's something that we're really excited about is people being able to watch the film from home yeah. um and then tune in for online like virtual Q&As and panels that we're going to do yeah great so um, it gives people an opportunity to watch it and and share it with a friend and you know it's my hope that people will you know, invite a mate to watch it with them, you know, even if that's virtually, even if you're not in the same house, to watch it at the same time and then chat afterwards. Because as I said, Happy Sadman, it it really gets people talking in a way that we've all been really inspired by. Yeah. So um, that's something I'm I'm looking forward to for sure.
0: Excellent. It's such a great thing. It really is. Thank you. Okay, I've come to my last question and this is a question that I, that I ask everyone uh, who comes on the podcast um, and we've talked about a lot here today and covered a lot in relation to this question but uh, if there was one thing that you could think of uh, that our listeners could do today to stay on top of their mental health, what would that be?
1: Uh, interesting. <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is that I've got a friend and uh, we used to see each other that regularly but every time I would speak to him when we would say goodbye, I would say, be kind to Mm. yourself. And I think after a year of saying this, he said to me, you know, you always say, be kind to to yourself. And I said, yeah. And he said, and I've only realized recently, that's my new mantra. And I said, yeah. And it's because I don't say that to everyone. Like every time I say goodbye to a friend, I don't say, be kind to yourself. But with him, I was really aware. He was not being kind to himself. I could see it. And so I think it sounds like an expression you don't necessarily have to think too deeply about, but actually, for me, the kindness I show to myself enables me not only to look after myself, but to be there for other people as well. And so I don't know, I, I think sometimes some people find it hard to accept a compliment. Yeah. Or some people find it hard to ask for help. Or some people find it hard to to run towards their 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 ideas or their dreams because they feel like they're not capable of it. But I've always had this ability to not worry about biting off more than I can chew and I've always been very ambitious and hopeful and um and optimistic so I feel like part of that comes from the fact that I am kind to myself and so it's not always an easy thing for everyone to to get used to but practicing being kind to ourselves and being gentle on ourselves a lot of the time I think can and can really impact not just on our lives, but on the lives of people around us who love us as well.
0: Brilliant answer. Brilliant answer. I've definitely noticed that it is, it is very easy to think about other people and, and forget about yourself. And I think, you know, it's like that old airplane analogy. Quite often, you've got to put your own, your own oxygen mask on first before you help others with their own. So yeah, it's, a, it's a very good reminder. Genevieve Bailey, thank you so much for coming on the Mentel Podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure. I've really love talking about the film. Like I said, I, I love watching it and it's 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 been even better to be able to sit down and talk about it. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, thanks, Ben. I'm glad that you enjoyed meeting all the men because they're some of my favourite humans and I love it when uh, more people get to hear about Happy Sad Men. So thank you for spreading the word. Some think I'm crazy. But I think I'm sane
2: with what's left inside the right half of my brain. Why, it's almost enough to
1: drive you up the wall. No wonder the best of us don't think at all.
0: Okay, so that was an epic chat. And what a stunning human Jen is. Happy Sad Man is a film that should be watched by everyone listening and not just the blokes. From all of us at Mentel, we want to give praise to each of the blokes in the film for their courage, bravery, openness and absolute realness. If you'd like to find out more about screenings of the film, head to happysadman.org. On the next episode of Mentel, we'll talk to Ian Westmoreland. Ian is the founder and director of Mentoring Men. An Australian charity providing free life mentoring programs for men with the aim of positively impacting the well-being of Australian blokes
1: for me this is my passion it's my purpose at the moment and I'm just seeing the impact this program is having not just on the men who have a mentor but also on the mentors themselves and for me it's been an amazing journey I've learned so much from the guys that I've mentored and I've learned so much from a number of the encounters that I, I have and it, it's it's shifted some of my understanding of my values uh, so understanding of myself and it's really broadened my horizon so it's been it's just been an awesome experience
0: Ian is a fascinating and engaging bloke his passion and the story of his journey to starting mentoring men is incredible to listen to so make sure you hit play on that one that's it from me I'll speak to you all next time
1: mental is an in your ears podcast Presented and produced by Ben Jenkins. Produced and edited by Charles Amsden. With opening music by Nick Kingswell. And closing music by Night
0: Radio. For more information on this and other podcasts, check out the Inurias Podcast's Facebook page. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and spread the word. And if you or anyone you
1: know needs help, call Lifeline on 13- Double one, one four.